My name is Linda Edwards. I live in the Sinoclean Valley in Coston, and I've lived here <clears throat> since 1990, uh, farming tree fruits with my partner, Brian Minnell. We are now retired or working at being retired. Uh, we lease out our home property and sold our main property, but we're involved also in cost and cold storage, which packs uh, most of the fruit that's sold outside of farmers' markets. That's Linda Edwards, who's my guest today on the Ruminant Podcast. Linda is an organic orchardist and organic farming advocate and activist who I invited on the show to tell us about the Arctic apple, which is, to my knowledge, the newest genetically modified organism to be approved for commercial use and for eating in North America. The Arctic apple doesn't turn brown like most apples do when cut open. And so its developers believe this is gonna create a great niche for this new technology. Linda doesn't think so. She has a lot of concerns about what that apple will mean for a whole bunch of orchardists, both conventional and organic. So we're gonna talk about that and we're gonna talk about GMOs in general. This is the Ruminant Podcast, a show that wonders what good farming looks like. I'm Jordan Marr. At theruminant.ca, you can find past episodes of this podcast as well as other content. I do photo-based blog posts as well as the occasional essay and book review. I hope you'll check it out, theruminant.ca. You can also contact me via email, editor at theruminant.ca, and I'm on Twitter, at ruminantblog. All right, let's get to this episode. Hey, everybody. Once again, I'm coming at you a day late with this week's episode. Once again, it's very busy on the farm, and once again, I'm going to keep the intro real short. Before I get to this main conversation with Linda... Before I get to this interview with Linda, I just want to remind you that I welcome your own submissions to the podcast. What I'm really interested in getting from you are ideas that you'd like to share with other farmers, something that you might tell a group of farmers if you were asked to get up on stage and share something that's working for you on your farm or in your garden. If you want to do that, you can email me at editor at theruminant.ca, or you can call a Skype number that I've set up and leave a voicemail, 310-734-8426. I've had some uh, some submissions recently, and if you haven't heard from me yet, you'll be hearing from me soon. And I hope to get those submissions up on the podcast in some way, shape, or form pretty soon. So I need to get back out on the farm, and that's why we're going to go straight to this interview with Linda. I hope you enjoyed, everybody. I'll talk to you briefly at the end. Linda Edwards, it's a pleasure to have you on the Ruminant Podcast. Thank you. Linda, I asked you on today because you've had uh, some experience with uh, a new genetically modified organism that has been called the Arctic apple. And uh, interestingly, we're both in British Columbia and in the southern interior of British Columbia. And this apple was developed uh, kind of just down the road from both of us in a town called Summerland, I believe, at a research station. Um, Could you start by talking about the Arctic apple and also correcting me if I've got any No, it, it was not developed at the research station. It actually originated from uh, the CRSO research station in Australia many years ago. And uh, they developed it but decided not to use it. And they sold the patent to um, a grower in Summerland who, who was also an agricultural engineer who was in the country on a contract at that time. And he bought brought the patent back, and he was working with the research station for a while, but then they decided not to be directly involved, and he moved on on his own with his investors and people that he was working with. So it didn't originate at the research station. Okay. It originated in Australia. Okay, thank you for the clarification. So, uh, Linda, what what is the Arctic apple? It's it's, um, a golden, at this point, it's either a golden or Granny Smith apple, where they have used genetic engineering technology to silence a gene that causes browning. Now, this is is something that occurs naturally in many apples. Uh, There are many heritage apples. There's two new apples out of Washington State that will soon be coming on the market, uh, ambrosia apple. There's lots of apples that already naturally silence that gene. But for Goldens and Grannies, they use GE technology, which involves, and it's, this is on their website too, you can verify it there, uses the, you know, the, the promoters and markers and, and uh, you know, the general package that goes with changing the genetic makeup. And what the result is, is they have what looks like a granny or a golden apple, which, if you cut it, will not turn brown, as do a lot of apples naturally occurring. 
Right. Now, it still goes soft, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, de- it doesn't stop the the general process, but but it does not turn brown. And the claim is that this will be a big advantage in the marketplace. Okay, well, could you could you take that last statement a little further? I know this is. I mean, you're. I'm asking you to represent the people advocating for this, but um, how do they argue that this will be a big advantage in the marketplace? Well, that people would like to buy an apple that they could bite into and then leave it on their dashboard of their car or your kitchen table or whatever and go back to it days later and then would still not have turned brown but the the real the real market quite possibly is and that they're looking at is more for um processed apples you know sliced apples at mcdonald's um you know salads to be for use in salads salad bars uh, already in British Columbia, there, there's a company at the Winfield that, um, and I think they use almost exclusively ambrosia, but they use other apples as well, and they slice them, and they use uh, ascorbic acid, you know, essentially um, citric acid to make the apples not turn brown, put them in packages, and they're part of the BC school program, you know. So you have these apple slices, which are given to children. This is great, you know. So already, the thing is, there already is a lot of product and other varieties out there, but they feel that their theirs will compete in that market. And is part of the reason they feel that because of other properties of the like the Granny Smith and the Goldens that are otherwise desirable, but for their their uh, their, but for the fact no. that they tend to brown. That's the only, well, normally Bank Grannies and Goldens would brown very quickly if you cut them. But the otherwise, they, they claim their apples are identical to, to Grannies and Goldens. And I don't know if you've ever gone shopping for Grannies and Goldens, but they, they're old varieties. They're wonderful varieties. In fact, this Golden Delicious is still one of the best apples if it's picked at the right time. Um, but, it, you know, they, they're, they're, <laughs> Goldens are probably the mean apple worldwide that's produced the most um, they are old apples they're in the stores but because there's new you know honey crisp and pink lady and all new varieties that they tend to be the lower priced apples in the store so, and they claim that their granny and golden are exactly the same except they will not turn brown when you cut them so when you go to the store if they were selling these as dessert apples um, I don't think they're going to be labeled, you, you know, but they're, they'd be being sold at a, quite a low price if they wanted to compete with what's already there. Right. Okay. So presumably part of the selling point, though, is that, look, uh, because this company wants to sell these to orchardists, essentially. I mean, there's probably yep. a tiny market for backyard orchardists, but this is mainly for commercial uh, apple production. Uh, one of the selling points then presumably is just that these are, these are your old standby varieties that many, many consumers are familiar with. And they're claiming this, these, these new and improved, uh, goldens and I guess grannies are just like the, the, the old standbys, except that they don't, they don't brown on the counter once they've been cut open or, or they take much less, they take much longer to do so. It's just that there is, I do not know of any growers, conventional or organic, that are going to plant these. Now, there may be some out there, but I, the conventional industry has reaffirmed over and over again that they're not interested in it, and certainly organically we're not. But one of the main reasons, especially for conventional, is they won't, anybody who plants what, an old variety that is well-known and competing with fancy, newer, more exciting varieties, uh, or, for, or apples that are going to be used for juice or applesauce or sliced apples, there's, you don't. You will spend twenty-five cents a pound to grow something. You'll get paid fifteen cents a pound in return. And the only way they could get a higher price in the stores is if they labeled it and said, "Oh, this won't turn brown," which of course then puts the the emphasis on the consumer saying, "Oh, I want a GE apple." And that would be the only way they could that a grower could make. If there was that possibility, it's it's not a money maker for growers. The reason we're worried about the backyard is that we think that's probably a more likely way that it will get in out there. Okay, so essentially, because none of us want to none of us want to grow it. I mean, organic have their own reasons to do it, but with processing apples, um, that's that we're talking apple juice and baby sauce and food for kids. 
Right. So, I mean, it essentially seems like you're suggesting, and I, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable for you to suggest that this seems almost like the answer to a problem no one has expressed. Yes. Yes, it is. Well put. Right. Um, so then what's, I mean, what, what's your take on that? Like why, why this big push? I mean, is it just a, is it a, is it an example of, um, you know, an, an entrepreneur just being steadfast in their belief that this is going to be a game changer or something like where's the incentive to, to go through what must've been a, a lot of rigmarole, a lot of, um, regulatory process to get this thing on the market. I, you'd have to ask Mr. Carter that, but I'm sure that's probably it. He, you know, when he first got the patent, it was a long time ago, and a lot of pe- his friends and people invested, and there became an obligation that developed right there. And, um, and you know, and people weren't quite so concerned about the negative parts of genetic engineering at that time. And so it it's like, seemed like a good idea at the time. And they're also saying that they're going to do this same process with some of the newer, more exciting varieties, um, and they may, but, uh, but it still, every time you put research and money into something like this, <clears throat> you have to charge a good price to get your money back. And then, so therefore, you have to think of a competition. And with the two apples that are out there right now, they're cheap apples. You're competing with cheap apples. And so go ahead and label them. We wish they would label them and then see if consumers really want to do, buy this thing. That would probably settle the question quite quickly. Uh, but, and, but certainly for processing. And for us, all growers, conventional and, and organic, processing apples are, are culls. They're what you have left after the hailstorm, all right? Mm-hmm. Or after you've sorted the apples and these are the ones that are too big or not red enough and so forth. And we sell those, but just to try to get a little bit of money back because you'll go broke. There's, it's not, it's, I, I take your point. It's not like there's going to be orchardists lining up no, to grow no. this apple exclusively to sell into the processing no. market. No, no, so absolutely not. So you've given us a number of reasons why you think uh, this is going to be kind of dead on arrival. I want to return to that in a moment. But first, I think, I'm, I just want to ask well, you... Could, oh, sorry, Linda. Well, i just say, that's my opinion. I'm sure the company would say otherwise. And also, the, you know, in all fairness, uh, they hung in there and uh, they got bought, bought out and for millions of dollars. So they've got, they made money on it. Okay, well, I, I just want to ask you briefly before we go any further... Um, could you could you just summarize as you understand it the last like the the, the various uh, um, milestones achieved or steps taken to bring this thing on the market? So it is currently now uh, the Arctic Apple is allowed to be sold in both USA and Canada, or what was yes, the step? Is. Okay, yeah. so that happened recently, correct? Yes. Yes. Could you go back a little further? Like, um, do, like any other genetically modified organism, it would have had to go through some regulatory yes. hurdles, correct? Could you yes. do you know anything about that? Well, broadly, uh, you know, the in both Canada and the U.S., the CFIA in Canada, the U.K. in the U.S. or the U.S.A., uh, anything they have, they have to be reviewed uh, to see if they are harmful to the environment or humans. There's nothing in there about markets. No concern about organics. Those are not criteria that can be used. All right. Mm-hmm. And so whatever process that went on, they determined that they were not harmful to humans or the environment, and they eventually got registered, first in the U.S. and now in Canada. Once they're registered, that means they can be legally grown and sold. Okay. And, and that's... Because there's no labeling rules in either Canada or the U.S., uh, so they can just be grown and sold. Right. So we've got now uh, yet another genetically modified food that is now legal to be to mm-hmm. be on the market yep. um and like all the rest of them one of the major issues that it, it there's no requirement for it to be labeled so no. so eaters won't necessarily know if if these things end up in stores or in processed foods they won't no one is required to let them know that they're consuming not at this food. time no right no i mean, it could be argued as the, the company might see this as an advantage to label them but they have to date said they're not going to do that right and presumably that's because of fears over um, blowback over over. I know I know that side of the argument argues that um, they just worry that, that there's there's a there's a lot of um, fear stoking around GMOs, and so there's a disincentive mm-hmm. to label because I think people will, in their view, uh, overreact um, and and not buy simply because they misunderstand um, the risks associated with GMOs. 
And it's a precautionary principle. If you have apples available that don't turn brown naturally, which we do, uh, and you have a choice between that and one that's been genetically engineered, which one would you pick? Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Um, but but now, Lynn, I'd like to ask you. Okay, I mean, maybe you can start to explain to the, my listeners why you are so um, knowledgeable about this. I mean, you've been actually active uh, to some degree in in resisting this. So so other than me prefacing this by saying you are very involved in the um, organic community, the organic farming community in British Columbia. Can you just, can you explain what your role has been as this Arctic apple became approved for, for us? Well, it mainly as an organic grower. I, I, Brian and I have been organic growers and we live in the Similkameen, which has more organic apples than anywhere else in Canada. And, and ever since the beginning, when it was first introduced many, many years ago, we were all concerned that if these trees were planted in our area, um, because of bee pollination, that our tre- our trees could be, I don't know, with apples, they, most of them benefit and some absolutely require cross-pollination from another variety. So every spring we all get bees and move them into our areas to make sure that we get a crop set. And often, um, the, you know, the results, if you took an apple and planted all the seeds in an apple, they probably would all turn out to be a bit different because of open pollination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in fact, ambrosia apple, we think is probably a cross between a red delicious and a golden, you know, because mm-hmm. it has characteristics of both. And many, many seedling varieties are just a mix of pollen. Well, if we were next door to one, you know, an Arctic apple orchard or backyard tree within three kilometers, conceivably the pollen from those trees could be moved to my trees. And the, the, flesh of the apple would not be GMO of that tree. It would still be whatever it was, but the seeds would would contain the... Um, uh, it, it has nothing to do with the silence gene. It has the mechanisms, the col- cauliflower mosaic virus the, the and the two bacteria that are used to make the process work. The seeds would test positive for that. And uh, so it could always be tested for. And already people are saying at farmers markets, people are saying, oh, is, you know, is this the GMO apple? You know, people are aware of this. And if somebody decided to find out if my apples really were certified, of course it's, it's prohibited under certified organic rules to have such a thing. Um, I work on standards and stuff all the time too, so it's my background as well. But if, if my apples, they tested the seeds and found that they tested positive, those apples would have to be sold at best, at best conventionally. Okay. So let me, let me just summarize that. So it's clear, absolutely clear for listeners. Not all my listeners may realize that if to be a certified organic farmer in North America, um, is to, is to be, uh, uh, forbidden from, from introducing, GMO uh, genetics into what you are producing. Into our, yeah, into our food crops. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So yeah. as you've pointed out, it's not that your apples. Let's say <laughs> you're. Let's say you're growing ambrosia. If if some pollen, your ambrosia trees need to be crossed with other trees, and so bees do that frequently. Yeah. If yeah. you if that cross happened with pollen from one of these Arctic apple trees, it's not that the apple flesh itself would change. You're still only no. going to get ambrosias. It's just that the seeds of those apples could could contain some of these this these GMO genetics and that 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 is not allowed in in no. uh, organic farmers. So this represents a threat no. to organic farmers livelihoods potentially. And and it wouldn't it doesn't matter that it's not your fault. It is what it is. If somebody accidentally sprays Roundup on your crop, it's not your fault, but it still you know means for 3 years you cannot um, you know, say anything on that property is certified organic. Now, the other thing, and this goes back to the processing too, is that, um, you know, for juice and things like that, when they crush, when we, you know, we like hailstorms are a good example, that um, people who make baby food, organic, well, and conventional as well, who make juice and baby food and stuff, they love hailstorms because that really, we've got all this fruit that has to go to processing because it can't be sold in the stores. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they just crush it, you know? And and it would be the conventional juice people as much as us that would have to worry, it would only be if somebody tested, but if they did test 
and found that, that indeed that it tested positive. It won't be testing positive for this gene. It'll be testing positive for the viruses and the bacterium. Right. Okay. And that's a very well-known, easy technology. And um, that, you know, and it can just be random. Do you know about the flax in Saskatchewan? Uh, well, no, I don't know specifically what you're referring to, so why don't you explain? Okay, okay. Um, quite a few years ago, the university there developed a Roundup-ready flax. And when the flax growers in Saskatchewan found that out, they said, no, no, don't do this. This is a health food. We're not the least bit interested. And this is conventional growers, okay, mm-hmm. not just organic. And so the university said, oh, I guess we should have asked you first and dropped it. They never bothered to register it. Anyway, the scientist who worked on that was very upset this happened, and he put little bags of black seed, which he called triffid, which if you read science fiction, you'll realize the irony of that. Triffids is this old science fiction story about plants that got mutated and ended up eating people. Uh, anyway, and it somehow got out to garden show, shows, farm shows, stuff got planted. Nobody even knew this was happening. Uh, until about three, four years ago, Europe, which does random testing for GMOs, tested some GM, some conventional flax from Saskatchewan and picked up the markers. And now they don't buy flax from Saskatchewan, although Saskatchewan's done a big program to try to eradicate it. But it was a really big problem. And this, this is the backyard thing. This is people who just grew a pretty blue flower, you know? Right. So, and, and they didn't know what they were doing, you know, and that's why we're... We're saying we see that if somebody went and bought one of these trees, they, they might not even know, realize the implications of it. So we're hoping to do an educational program uh, on that level as well, because one, bees fly three kilometers. One tree could contaminate a very wide area. Right. Well, thank you for the example, Linda. Now, one thing I wanted, probably the main thing I've wanted to, to talk to you about today is to broaden it out a little bit, because I, I, this is something that I've taken some interest in. Here's here's my concern. All of the reasons you've given in terms of the practical implications of this Arctic apple, I think are really sound, right? But I'm an organic farmer. You're an organic farmer. We're, we're both really involved in in, mm-hmm. uh, in our industry, like just in, 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 you know, in volunteering at different levels and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. My concern is this, um, that arguing that we need, that, that arguing the, the, Arguing for the 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 for for stopping the the introduction of this apple because it's not allowed in organics is 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 not um, it seems at best to me like a weak argument. Okay? Well, it's not it's not a legal argument. That's for sure. There's a, if it was, they wouldn't have got it registered. Right, right. So I mean that that goes without saying. But I just mean in trying to convince others why they, they like for example i'll just mention we may talk about this some more in a few minutes but one of the things you've been working on here in british columbia is to try and get all of a lot of or all of the nurseries on board with just not carrying this tree well like, we haven't we, we've just started doing that and we've yeah. got some positive feedback but that that that's something more i wouldn't make a big deal of that at this point because a lot of that work hasn't been done yet so. oh, okay and, and and look i also want to say linda just before we go forward here i think the arctic apple is a stupid idea that's um, probably the best way to describe the whole thing. Right. So we're, we're on the same page there. <laughs> okay. I also, for the most part, think most of the examples of, of GMOs that have made it to market are not a good idea for agriculture. Okay? Like, I'm... I'm no. All right? However, I still have concerns that in trying to prevent the spread of them, we're using arguments like, well, we shouldn't have it because it... It's not allowed in organics. It's circular logic. That's not the they, reason. They don't hold it. That's only one of the reasons. The conventional growers don't want it either. They don't, they don't, the same as us, they don't need it, they don't want it, and they're worried about the market just as much as we are. So it's not just organics. Okay, and that, that's totally fair, but I think my argument still applies. I'm not saying we shouldn't be fighting it. As mm-hmm. I've said, I think it's a dumb idea. Um mm-hmm. I just don't see the efficacy and I actually see some risk in, in trying to educate everybody, the people who might buy it for their backyard, the nurseries and and whatnot in relying on the argument, look, this is going to be, this is going to hurt me. It's going to hurt organic growers because it's not allowed in organics because that in and of itself isn't, isn't to me a sound argument. It's, It's just to give you an example. I'm not a very religious person, Linda, so if someone comes up to me and says, you shouldn't do this because 
And I say, because why? And they say, because the Bible says you shouldn't do it. That's not a compelling argument to me. And, and so you've mentioned some, some other specific reasons why we shouldn't have it. But to me, the most powerful is that this thing is just, it just makes no practical sense why we should have it. Right. So, yeah, well, I agree, and 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 I would say that too. Right, it's right across the board. I mean, Washington State, which for every acre of tree fruits in BC, there's about you know, I don't know. They we used to have twenty thousand acres of tree fruits in BC, and the last time I checked, them, they had two hundred thousand. They don't want it. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they there's a, a a magazine called the Good Fruit Grower, which is sort of speaking of Bibles, the Bible of the industry comes out of Wenatchee. And we all read it and subscribe to it. Every tree fruit grower in North America and probably a lot in Europe read the Good Fruit Grower. One of their main editorials in the two issues ago was, what a dumb idea this is. You know, why would we shoot ourselves in the foot? And this is conventional growers, okay? It's Washington. It's B.C. It's, it, it's it, you know, there is the, the argument, one of the main arguments against it is that it will hurt how some people make their living, which is whether they're organic or conventional. Uh, with us, it's just a little more clear-cut and faster. But it, it could help. a conventional juice maker could lose all their markets as quickly as an organic juice maker over this apple. And consequently, the growers, you know, and all the infrastructure and agriculture that's based on that are grievously hurt. And you're not, you know, you're not supposed to be able to go and hurt people's livelihood unless there's a right, right, but I think you. Good but, but, but Linda, I think you then have to ask the question: Why is it going to hurt the organic growers' livelihood? Well, the answer is because it's not allowed. But then, couldn't you just as easily say, "Well, then why don't why doesn't organics allow it?" Like you could still prevent organic organic farmers from physically buying the trees, but we could the rules could conceivably be changed to allow for those genetics to be there. Like why? it's just it's not. Why would a, we do that? You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't see. I don't agree with. I, the point I think you're trying to make, I think it's 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 sort of like saying somebody with a special health condition shouldn't be able to make any claim for something, or somebody who who is a small grower versus a big. You know, I I don't see where your argument's going in this case. Okay, well I'll try and I'll try and explain it a little bit better. I don't I don't think it it's the same. Your example about the person with a special health condition. If they can, if they can demonstrate that they actually have a, a a condition, then I think most reasonable people reasonable people want to make accommodations for them. But I guess what this gets back to is is the reasons why maybe we should maybe we should talk about this a bit. Why GMOs are not allowed in our in organic agriculture? Um, because I I just don't think it's enough to say well because they're All not right. allowed. The re- where they're not allowed because we consider under the precautionary. Um, principle and being supported by a fair amount of research out there that's increasing all the time that that the, that these are not as it's like pesticides it's it's exactly the same thing as pesticides in many many ways although now we know more about pesticides and we can argue even more vehemently why we don't use organophosphates all right mm-hmm but when organo, I'm old enough to remember when organophosphates first came out, and, and in fact, I am. I can remember when DDT was used, all right? Mm-hmm. And it was so much better than lead arsenic and, and the other things that had preceded it that my father and all these people started using it, and it didn't make you sick. You know, you could go and apply it for grasshoppers, and you didn't throw up afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, oh, this is just so amazing. This is a great, well, all right, history moves on. Uh, <clears throat> organophosphates and carbamates replaced DDT when the dangers of those things were known. And now we've got other things replacing organophosphates and carbamates as, as, as their health risks to human health and to the environment and biodiversity. And, you know, the list goes on and on. There is that kind of evidence is starting to, you know, and organics has led the way in using the precautionary principle and saying, look, we, we're pretty sure there are no silver bullets out there, all right? Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to use these pesticides. You know, we're not using the nicotinides. They, they, they're, there's the, the ones they're worried about now. They were brought out as, and still are touted as being absolutely um, no harm to human health and stuff. Next time you buy corn from the Fraser Valley, ask them if they use the systemic nicotine on, on that corn. Because mm-hmm. you, you may want to you know, as an organic grower, I, I be, I'm sensitized to that, and I'm growing my own corn, you know, because 
I don't think I'm going to want to. It may not hurt humans, but we don't know. We know it sure does a lot of harm to bees, all right? Right. Okay, looking at that scope of things, comparing it with pesticides, that, you know, in the, that the, because of the precautionary principle and because we know there's no silver bullets, organic growers take the slightly earlier step, not always, and lots of conventional growers are very, use that principle as well, and I applaud them, but we take that step, and unfortunately, we often turn out to be right on that one. We certainly have about all the wonderful pesticides we've seen come and go. And it's starting to come out now about many of the things about, you know, well, we do know there have been real problems with genetic engineering. Some of it hasn't, you know, some of it's killed people, you know. Well, I don't, I, I, I'm going to stop you there. What can you, I, I don't think there's any scientifically uh, legitimized evidence that it's killed people. Can you? Can oh, you... there was. There's some of the early ones. The, we don't know about the other ones, but there was the. What was it tryptophan? I think that was the big one that that <clears throat> scared everybody. Um, it, it came out very early on. I can send you some papers on this if you're really that interested in it. But you know, they, there are there are things that have happened that weren't very good, and 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 allergies and changes in the plants. You know, they don't, they don't even, um, uh, you know, know until something, like, for instance, with soybeans, that it turns out that in drought conditions, that those that are um, genetically engineered, the stems shatter more. Well, when they put in the Roundup Ready gene, it must have fallen on the thing that built strong stems. But nobody knows that, you know. Right. You're, you're into a field now where there's, you know, and the, the recombinant gene, um, bovine growth hormone was a big one. Uh, the trip, the tryptophan was in, that was way back in 1990s. It was a dietary supplement that really did kill people mm-hmm. because of, of, uh, it was given to people with a blood disorder and, and it turned out that it wasn't what they thought it was. So now they're just thinking more allergies. I know the research is going on in France. It's not pretty. I just want to, just to bring it back to our, our conversation then. Um, so, so are you in general, like certified organic grower or just citizen of British Columbia, Linda Edwards, are you personally, I mean, do you avoid eating all any and all GMOs for these reasons? Yeah, I do. I, I do. do. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you're, I mean, your central argument then is just that you just personally, you haven't seen, we haven't had them around long enough and enough evidence to suggest they're safe. And for that reason, we should take the precautionary principle, which yeah. in taking that approach would apply then to all and the other thing, and, and the thing is that, you know, we've always heard about all the wonderful benefits that are going to flow from them. We, I mean, how many years have we heard about golden rice and drought-resistant varieties and all that stuff? But mostly, 99% of all the research, let alone the results, are things that sell Roundup or can help farmers avoid some pesticides. Although, you know, it, it, the pesticide thing is, well, it, you know, BT. They put BT in cotton and and various other things, and it just mm-hmm. sooner or later they just become resistant, and then you can't even use the the original BT anymore. And also, you know, they haven't looked; they're starting to look at the results of of many of these things and what that does to the soil. It does change the biology of the soil. You know, they, and it's just um, there are no silver bullets. You know, there's always a downside. Now, if they really truly came up with something that was wonderful and could stand the test of time and researching that really made the world a better place for biodiversity, human beings, I would consider it. But, it, mm. you know, and I follow the literature and I'm still waiting. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I, um, I guess we can, we can close off this, this debate that, that I wish would be had a little more often in the organic community. I, I'll go back to my main point. I, I, I just worry, I worry for for the movement down the line when we re- we start to rely too much on well it's not allowed in organics and that's why we shouldn't have gmos but, but wait a minute nobody just says that okay you just said it but that, it's a, you know it's never intended to just be we just don't allow it and therefore we don't do it there are reasons we don't allow it right i agree i and, I, I, I agree with you and you've just outlined some of some of yeah. the, the arguments i i don't think those arguments are explained enough i personally feel like this stuff gets dumbed down a lot for the general public that yeah. that it, there's a real emphasis on the fear-mongering and look one one difference we have between us is i i am much less concerned about the health effects of consuming this stuff i think 
mainstream science has been fairly consistent so far in, in rejecting the notion that, that the ones on the market are dangerous for, for us. Now, I know we're not going to agree on that, Linda, and that's, that's fine. Well, we don't know. I would mostly say we don't know. And, and that's, Except there have been with, you know, the recombinant DNA, the, you know, we actually are, some of our scientists pointed that out for us. So we didn't register that for cattle. There have been these other things in the past that have shown up. We don't, the main thing is we don't know, and there's not a lot, you know, it's just beginning, more and more research is going on, but we were just sold all the benefits without looking at any of the side effects. And, um, you know, if you, you have children, there's a whole, you know, <laughs> I, do you really want to think take a chance on something showing up years later because uh, you weren't concerned about something like this? Right, but we could get down a crazy rabbit hole debating just what it means to how how far to take the precautionary principle. And and again, Linda, my my intention in this conversation is not to convince you of my okay. point of view at all. You only do it if there's a really good reason to do it. All right. Yeah. Right. Arguably, if, there arguably there have been. You're not you're not going to hear me making. Uh, um, fervent or passionate arguments for Roundup Ready Crops, um, mm-hmm. for, for, for BT corn. Uh, the, the very first uh, GMO on the market, to my knowledge, was the one for the, for the virus with papayas in Hawaii. And I, I think arguably on the whole, that's been very beneficial for that industry with, without any of the environmental effects of some of these more modern Monsanto-driven um, mm-hmm technologies but i don't know i don't know about that one oh, okay and it wasn't the first the first was canola and, and uh soybeans and all those crops i okay I, I i'm not sure about that i think i think pop papaya is frequently held up as, as one of the first ones to to, to get going mm-hmm. but anyway um again i i just i worry i i just wish we could keep the discourse up focused on some of the specific reasons um, it sounds like you're suggesting you think I'm setting up a straw man argument that that's not actually happening. But, you know, you and I sit on a, on a, on a board in which we were discussing the possibility of approaching, uh, you know, as the organic um, community uh, as a whole, as a voice, approaching some of the nurseries and, ex- and explaining to them that we, we, we would rather not see them carry this Arctic apple. It sounded to me like the suggestion was we were going to really try and emphasize the fact that that's really bad for the livelihoods of organic growers because it's not allowed in, in organic agriculture. No, no, I have told you this three or four times, and I'm starting to get a little bit upset about it. Okay. It is not just for organic growers. Yeah. It's for consumers while having the right to know what they're consuming. And if they would label this thing, I, that would make such a big difference. It's for conventional growers as well as much, way more conventional growers out there than organic. It's for all of those things. It is not, I never make the argument just for organic growers. Okay. Fortunately for organics, we're in a position where we're a little more organic. But they're not, no, you talk to the BCFGA, mm-hmm. BC Fruit Growers Association. They make formal motions at meetings against this. Talk phone Glenn Lucas. You know, it's not, I am nev- not just saying it's organics, and I'm not setting it up just to be something for organics. It's right. for consumers, and, you know, knowing what's in their apple juice, knowing what's in their apples when they go to McDonald's. In fact, somebody told me, I don't, you might want to verify that, but McDonald's is saying they're not going to buy, you know, antibiotic GMO stuff and things like that. Um, and, it's for, and it's for my conventional neighbors who will be just as upset if somebody plants a backyard tree next to them as I will be. Right. Okay. And for the same reasons, you oh. know, the same reasons. Right, but that those reasons tend, seem to dance around this this uh, potential backlash from the public because of because of rejection of, of GMOs. Is that fair to say? Like, both well, organic talking, and conventional. You're talking about backlash because we're against it or backlash against... No, 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 no. It seems like... Um, both the the potential effect on the livelihood of organic growers, but also just the the conventional orchardists who also don't want this. I think that isn't the common thread that that the, the, the reason they don't want it is because they're they they fear uh, putting themselves out of the market if if it if if the public decides they just don't want this stuff. Could, could you? I'm not quite sure what you're. Sure, 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 sure. I'm I'm I'm. What I'm suggesting is the the. Um, let's just focus on those com- commercial orchardists. Yeah. Right. You're saying they're also in line with the organic orchard is saying, we don't want this, right? Yeah. Okay, so if I understood you earlier, you were explaining the commercial orchardists are against this for the same types of reasons, that, that if the genetics end up in their crop um, yeah. through drift, they, they, they would be prone to the same kind of... Um, market forces. Market forces, that, they're, they're, yeah. that, that ultimately eaters, either through not wanting to buy them in the store or not wanting to buy the processed foods that contain these genetics... 
um, yep. would would reject this, and that could be really bad if if we if you've got a bunch of commercial orchardists, conventional or organic, who 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 are demonstrated that the genetics are now in their in their apples. And it comes back to the consumer. I mean, organics is all about everybody. We're not talking hobby farmers. We're talking how people make their living, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and it's the same with you. You have to make a living. Otherwise, you have to go and, and, and growing your vegetables. Otherwise, you've got to go and get a job somewhere else, right? Yeah. Then you're not a farmer. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about, the right for people to make a living and, and <clears throat> not have random things like this derail it through no fault of their own, if they would label it, if, you know, if, you, if, if you know, they had to label, tell us where these orchards are and label this product when it goes to the marketplace, fine. But that isn't going to happen. And it's not going to happen in apple slices in kids' school programs, and it's not going to happen in apple juice at Sunrape. And therefore, consumers, <clears throat> and that's what, you know, that's what certified organics all about, and that's what ethics in farming is all about. The consumer has the choice of what they want, and you give them these rules, and they make the choice. And if they pick yours, good on you, right? Yeah, yeah. But then, it, but it, it sounds like you're saying if if only that were happening, then you wouldn't be so concerned. But that can't... no, I would be I would be concerned from a scientific point of view, mm-hmm. and a lot of others about the health things. It's the same reason I don't let my grandchildren eat conventional beef. Um, or chicken because of the antibiotics and growth hormones, all that kind of stuff. Right. See, the more and more we're finding these things out, and and we make, but we, we can make choices. Yeah. And certified organic ensures, you know, I can, that my, my grandchildren aren't going to consume these things, which definitely would negatively affect their lives. Mm-hmm. And as more and more research is done on some of these other things, maybe some of them won't be harmful, but maybe some of them will. What kind of lottery do you want to play in, you know? Right. And that's and certified organic takes the one extra step, um, which says, okay, we realize there may be a problem here, and this is what we're doing to maybe not 100% avoid, but as much as we possibly can to avoid giving the consumer something that if they knew what they were getting, they wouldn't want it. And that's how you stay in business. And, and to have somebody come in with something that has no real perceived, there's no real perceived benefit. I mean, we all agree there's lots of non-browning apples and it's, they still go slimy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to endanger both conventional and organic um, income and lifestyle, so they can go get a job in the oil fields instead, right? That That's not right. Yeah. Or maybe you think it's okay. I don't, I don't no, know. no, I just struggle with it, Linda. I struggle with it because the whole reason it's not right is the potential for backlash from the public. But what if the public's wrong? What if they're wrong to to take the precautionary principle or to to outright reject those GMOs? Um, like that the, they're wrong. You know what? You're, it doesn't matter whether they're wrong. Right? It's their choice. Don't you? Get, it's about choice. It's it's me deciding that I like this kind of car instead of that kind of car. I have the right to make that choice. And, and the, the backlash from the public, I think, is more because they aren't going to be able to know and make the choice. And interestingly enough, an awful lot of them make the choice for organics when they know. Right. That, that's I, I, I just like, I like thinking about theoretical stuff. Like, like this, in order to decide, to me, if this whole approach to fighting this stuff is sound, I like to think, well, what if, like, let's create a hypothetical. I don't know. What if... What if somehow the tide turned against organic products and the public, by and large, started believing wrongly that that organic food was always dirty and and and, and that the, the, you know, full of soil organisms that are going to harm them. And therefore, they're as a whole, they're outright against it. And you and I believe fervently that they're wrong. I mean, would you would you accept this argument that well, it should be banned because we should let the public decide? I mean, sometimes the public's wrong. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not. I'm not. Well, secretly... that's why. No, no, no. But that's that's why you have food safe. I mean, every organic grower has to have food safe, just like every conventional. Where there is doubt about things like that, you find an answer. And with that, you know, you've come up with. I think you're trying to use that as an example, but that is a good example. And there have been concerns in the past. And it's been addressed by, I have to do food safe the same as my conventional neighbor and show that that's not, you know, that I'm not going to give somebody Listeria or, or E. coli at 57 and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I guess, I guess I just wish 
we could focus almost all our efforts on the labeling. I just, it makes me uncomfortable when, when... Well, I, I've told you, Barry, if they'd label, that would make this much simpler. It would make it simpler, but it wouldn't solve your problem. You'd still be making the argument that the public's still probably going to have a negative reaction that you don't want the no, genetics I'm in your No, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, I'm not saying telling the public what they're going to do or not do. They will, they, they will make that decision. But the fact that a lot of people, not all, but some choose to grow bioorganic food, those people are making that decision. And they're making it based on, you know, the pesticides and the biodiversity and GMOs and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't want, if they don't care about that, they go and buy conventional, you know? Right. So the public's already doing that. And I don't think, you know, if, if they suddenly, and it did happen, it happened with some organic apple juice that ended up people using windfalls to make apple juice many years ago, and a lot of people got sick because of that because it had E. coli on it, and uh, there was a huge backlash. But then everybody tightened up and did the right thing, and hopefully the you know the rules are now in place, and and if somebody violates those, then it's on them. It's not on the industry. Right. And and to me that's best you can do you know you can control everybody but if you see a problem you find a solution for it and for many people are concerned probably mostly about pesticides that are harmful uh, that's one of the reasons they choose organics that's how they deal with that and we can give them some assurance uh, and it's not just our word for it we test mm-hmm. you know that there's testing, random and otherwise, going on all the time. We can give them insurance that we aren't doing that. And if it turns out it's that even accidental, then we cannot claim that that food is organic. Right. Even if it's not our fault. So, and, you know, and as long as people are making that decision based on that information, that's, that's the way the world is. Some might not care. Some don't. So what's, uh, just to close off here, Linda, what's your hope for the kind of the best case scenario in terms of... Um how this plays out? Well, that everybody will become aware of it. I think a lot of people, I think it's pretty, you know, and that we'll continue and people will make, you know, the choice of whether or not they're going to plant these, um, whether it's backyards or orchards, and that uh, their neighbors and consumers will be informed of this product if it comes on the market. That would be the best of all possible things. Well, I guess especially at the planting level, I guess you would really hope that anyone planting this, at the very least, knows of these implications. They know, because your concern is they're going to plant them not even realizing, A, that it's GMO, and B, what that might mean for other commercial growers. Yeah, and and so that's our, you know, some of us are taking that on as our responsibility. If they still want to go and do it, fine, but please tell us so that we can take precautionary you know, I don't know what we would do, but anyway, um, that we would know that that's a possibility. Okay, there are people all over North America who get their corn, organic growers get their corn tested if they're near BT corn or um, areas, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. a precautionary thing you can do so that when your product doesn't go to the market and you get an unpleasant surprise like the flax growers did. Right. So, if, you know, knowledge. It's all about knowledge. We want mm-hmm. people to be aware of it. And, and, you know, and I would be the first to say, I don't think it's going to poison anybody, but we don't know what'll have, what more things we'll know in the future, the same as we didn't know about DDT or organophosphates or nicotinides and all the rest. You know, it's all, it's all, uh, um, I, I, anything's possible. I, I guess so. I, here's the one thing I don't think is possible. And you're, you're, you're so much more experienced in the community um, in the, you know, in the, in the organic community than I am. So maybe you have some insight. I don't believe it's possible. Like you've talked a lot, you've, you've made a very compelling case for why do you employ the precautionary principle and why it's been employed in the case of GMOs with regards to certified organic agriculture. I cannot imagine a time though, when the community would be satisfied enough. It doesn't matter what science comes out where they'd, they, where, where, where we'd all, where, where we'd say, Oh, actually it turns out it looks pretty safe, and we're gonna we're gonna lift the ban on Linda's apples having those genetics in them. I just can't. I, I don't think that's possible. Just in practical terms, um, that's where that's where I'm concerned. I mean, we can talk about precautionary principles is a, is, is a decent approach to this stuff, but but ha, have we had a, conversations as a community about the about the point at which we'd say no? I think I think the science is sound, and we 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 can lift that that ban. Well, we we haven't. You know, lots of lots of people are making those arguments all the time, 
in favor of all the, you know, the GMO alfalfa is not going to hurt anybody, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't have to do that because there's lots of other people making those arguments all the time. And it, it comes back to the consumers, whether or not they're going to listen to that or listen to the precautionary thing. If I remember I said, if somebody came out with something that saved lives, uh, you know, like I, I think 3D printing, some of the stuff going on 3D printing is, is absolutely amazing, you know, because mm-hmm. it's restoring smashed vertebrae and stuff. So I'm not going to argue against that, you know. But it, it's, But until that happens, until, you know, you don't say black or white. You, you do it based on best information available and historical context. And, they're, and knowing there are no silver bullets, you know. I mean, the fact that it's not, it's, you know, um, it's not the gene that they fool with that's the problem. Whether it, I mean, naturally occurring apples have a non-browning gene. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do. And, but, you know, sometimes it is where they were going to put that fish um, yeah, like like genes. there's yeah there's there's GMOs where they're putting genes from different species in, and then there's like the Arctic apple where it was more like silencing a gene within yeah, the, the existence of the Yeah, but it's the mechanism. The it's the mechanism mm-hmm. they use, which. I... Yeah, fair enough, and that I mean it gets really really tough in this debate because there's very confident people giving scientific evidence on both sides, right? Like it makes exactly. it very, very difficult, very difficult. Well, there's way more of them making arguments for GMOs. Well, okay, but, but Linda, except, except like major institutions like the National Academy of Sciences, I mean, yeah. the, the same institutions that we go to to confirm climate change evidence yeah. were, as a movement in the organics, I think it's fair to say, we tend to still say, no, they're, they're compromised when it comes to making their pronouncements about, about GMOs. And it makes well, it very, very difficult for people. To, to come to, like, an informed decision? Well, I, I'm not sure about that. I think people are a lot smarter than we think they are sometimes. And, and, and people do tend to... Education, that's what it's all about, getting, getting information out, letting people be aware of the range of information and research there, where there's doubt and where there's surety, which is not much of that in the world. Um, and, and to know, again, that there are no silver bullets. There's always a price for everything. Mm-hmm. And you try to anticipate what some of those are. I mean, you know, I grew up watching steroids and and uh, antibiotics being put into cattle. It's still done. Eighty percent of all the antibiotics used in North America go to livestock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And nobody thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? They can stick them in feedlots, make them eat grain that they're not supposed to eat. They don't get sick, or and they gain weight faster. Now look at the horrible repercussions that are coming from that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And look how hard it is to, to try and make changes, you know, to reduce antibiotic yeah. use. Uh, once it's once it's an established practice, it's, it's definitely yeah. very difficult. See, I'm, I'm old, you see. I've lived too long. I've seen all this stuff. And, and it's made me really believe in the precautionary principle. And, it, and also, I am also a scientist. And so, you know, you present the deep details of how something's better or really helps something. I'll, I'll consider it. And I think most people would. Um, it's just this weird thing though linda where like if you if you just allow for the possibility simply the possibility that i do no no, okay i i believe you do i believe you do sorry i meant you i didn't mean you i mean you all of us if we allow for a possibility that one day the science is settled and it and it comes out in favor of the that that at the very least gmo is safe for human consumption ones that get approved okay um there's this weird situation that i that i that i that i feel like i'm seeing where on the one hand, I, I can I can just never I, I could see the organic industry persisting in banning it um, because they're terrified of the backlash against consumers um, who won't buy their stuff if the if the if the genes are allowed in. But then at the same time, those a lot of those same consumers are terrified of it themselves and not buying it because they've been told that it's not allowed or that it's not allowed in organics. Like it's just this weird self-reinforcing thing, and so. I just, Do you think consumers aren't smart enough to know why they don't want why they're buying organic because there might be I think you're really I, I don't I, I don't agree with what you I, said. right and it sounds like what you want to accuse me of is 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 taking um, the, the 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 intelligence of the intelligence of the consumer for granted of the consumer for granted, but the, the truth is and I don't do that I, I'm not applying that as a blanket statement, Linda, but I, I sure meet a lot of people who at my farmer's market stall very quickly demonstrate that they are a one they're they're fervently against gmos but as soon as they start to talk about it i can see that 
the basis of on, on which they're, they're coming to that judgment is really superficial. And it comes from things like marches against Monsanto, which just mm-hmm. frame Monsanto as evil and anything Monsanto does is evil, including GMOs are evil. And it's just talked about in these black and white terms. And I think that's partly the responsibility of, of some organic farmers who, who talk in those terms to their customers. And there's a lot of fear mongering. That's not to say that I'm pro GMO. Cause I, I know it may not sound like it, Linda, but I'm not pro GMO. I just don't like some of the ways that the, that, that we as a community are communicating these ideas. I think there is fear mongering going on and that concerns me. There is fear mongering going on about airplanes and climate change and how fast you should drive on the highway. It's the nature of the human race. That, that doesn't mean we can't strive. That, that, doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I can't talk to you right now just about yeah. the, the possibility that we could strive a little harder to, to, to create a more nuanced debate. I mean, I find, and the thing is, I find the GMO debate gets so much more interesting when you start to talk about some of the unforeseen effects of, of Roundup Ready crops and how that's wiped out every last plant in the field. And now we've got butterfly populations that, yeah. that, are, that are going extinct because they have no habitat. That's where, to me, you can connect with people on a better level because those arguments, they're much more sound than, than some of the more superficial ways that this is presented. Well, um, of course it's superficial. And there's some, some organic growers will do a great job of it and others will do a lousy job. Some conventional growers, it's same thing. You know, you, you get down to individuals. Some do a bit, you know, some people don't have the time, energy, or the resources to perhaps be as educated as you might wish them to be. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean they won't find out if they have to. And if they do just sort of take you know, the, what seems to be a superficial, everybody likes some things in their life that they feel somebody else is taking care of. Like, I'm that way about airplanes, all right? Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping those mechanics that check the airplane that I reluctantly get on um, in the first place, because I shouldn't be flying anywhere, but, you know, I'm going to go see my grand new grandson sometime this year, so there I, there goes my resolve. Um, but anyway, that I, I really just to say, yeah, mechanics know what they're doing, all right? Yeah. Otherwise, I'll never fly, you know? Right. <laughs> so, and, but I have other parts of my life that I'm much more knowledgeable about and have the time and resources to do that. And I think maybe that's what some of those people were just, okay, somebody in the organic industry is keeping an eye on this. Isn't that wonderful? And so I can be against this and, me, and you know, and, and my instincts, people's instincts are not to be over or underestimate, say that this is better for me so that I'm just going to go that route, you know? Um, we can't all be experts at everything. No, no, we can't. We can't. Um, but I, I just, I mean, you know, we're starting to go in circles here and that's fine. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just see examples yeah. of, uh, organic farmers in the markets, like specifically taking advantage of that fear to sell their products. And that, I just don't think that's right. I, I just think it's problematic okay, and it, well, could, it could hurt the movement in the long run. But anyway, maybe, but yeah. maybe not. What if it turns out that uh, some of these things are really as bad as some people think they are? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People, people will, like pesticides. You know, as I said, I, I'm old enough. I'm in my 70s. I've been on a farm all my life. I've seen from DDT right through to what people are currently using. And, and that's, that's and, I, I take your point, Linda. I realize you've, you, you, this ain't your first rodeo. You've seen the promises no. of a new technology before yeah. and how safe it is, and you've seen it turn out to be bankrupt. And, and I, yeah. I realize that's very powerful. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah. So in, if in doubt, be careful. Right. Precautionary especially, principle. Especially if you have a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 you know, people do have the choice between organic and conventional. And in this particular case, they certainly have a choice of what, between different non-browning apples. <laughs> it's going to go slimy on you, if you even though it doesn't turn brown, you know. <laughs> so, you know, there are there's so many choices in regard to this non-browning thing. Well, Linda Edwards, thank you so much for the uh, the time you've given to having this conversation okay. with me, and and uh, I'm I'm uh, I I wish you and and all of us luck in in trying to to limit the spread of this what appears to be a very silly idea, this Arctic apple. <laughs> that's that's a good way to sum it up. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Take thank care. you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Well, there you go, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm sorry about the uh, little bit of pen tapping or pen play that you heard during some of that interview. I have to admit, um, at times, as if you listen to the whole interview, you probably notice things got a tiny bit tense at times with Linda, uh, just because we didn't agree about everything. And um, I didn't know I was doing that with my pen. I think I was kind of nervous. 
Uh, I was also recording that interview in my van. Uh, my wife Vanessa has been away. She's back now, and last week or so when I had to record this interview, it just wasn't a good time for her to have to get out of the cabin, so I went into the van to, to record that. Anyway, that's it. I have nothing else to say to you. I hope uh, I hope you have a good week, and I'll do my best to have an episode for next week. If I can't come up with anything, I'll, uh, I've still got some uh, old, old episodes that I could rerun for those of you who are new listeners. Take care, everybody. And take it away, Vanessa. will live off chestnut spring water world of thieves and live life like it was meant to be because why would we live in a place that don't want us a place that is trying to bleed us dry we could be happy with life in the country with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands i've been doing a lot of thinking some real soul searching and here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and braces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to.